Hallelujah. Well, uh, this morning, again, we want to continue in our study of the four dimensions of church life. And we'll be looking at something we've never done before. We'll be looking at something that probably will be new to many of us, but it's there in the scriptures. And I believe that God is bringing this fresh water to us at this moment because of the things that he's ordained to do in our lives. But before I go into that, I want to acknowledge the goodness of God. I want to thank God for how the Lord has been keeping us during this period of COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, many times, many of our people have gone for one test or the other, especially those who are on the front line. And yet, all the time, every single moment, the tests have returned negative. Uh, we want to thank God for that. We give him praise for his protection. We thank him. You know, we've returned like the 10th leper to say thank you, to return our praise, to return our glory, to return our adoration to the one who has been faithful in keeping his own part of the bargain, which is his word. Uh, at the same time, our hearts will go to those who have uh, suffered in the midst of this, this very, very unusual situation. Those who have lost lo loved ones, those who have lost friends, those who have lost businesses and the rest of it, our prayer is that the God who restores will restore in Jesus' name. He will restore your wasted moments. He will restore your wasted years. He will restore. It is not over yet. God himself will comfort. God himself will restore in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we want to thank you. Father, we want to give you praise. We want to thank you for this moment. I want to thank you for these particular time. We've all come to land at your feet, Lord Jesus. And Lord, I pray that your word, let there be the entrance of your word, bringing forth light, adoration, bringing forth revelation, bringing forth transformation, bringing forth edification even this morning in jesus name i want you to pray personally you talk to god what do you want him to do for you this morning uh, you talk to god you, uh, you 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 have a personal you know discussion with him open your mouth and talk to him you talk to god what are your desires what do you want the lord to do for you what are you bringing to him? Open your heart to him. I can pray for you. And I've prayed for you. And I'm praying for you. But God wants to hear your voice. He wants to hear you bring forth your request to him. Oh Lord our God. How excellent is your name in all the earth. We give you all the praise. Thank you because you've heard the requests of your people. Thank you so much, Lord, for the things you've started to do. Thank you, Lord, for the things you've done already. And thank you, Lord, for the things you will do in the days to come. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, very soon, we'll be back together in church. I believe so. The curves are flattened and restrictions have been further lifted. And I know that in not too long a moment, we will be back. The many of us that have not even seen, have not set my eyes on, since the beginning of this COVID-19 pandemic, I have missed you. And I look forward to seeing you when we all return to the sanctuary. Uh, thank God for live streaming. Thank God for the good work that the multimedia, what they've, they've done. Uh, but there's something about coming together 
to fellowship together. There's something about, you know, us coming together, being in the sanctuary, worshiping together, raising our hands to bless his name, that is also equally powerful. Amen. So I look forward to seeing you very, very soon. It will be sooner, much sooner than later, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The New Testament church is a praying church. The way God designed the New Testament church is for it to be a praying church. And power falls when prayer prevails. Power falls when prayer prevails. And whenever you see the power of God falling in a supernatural way that transforms lives, institutions, people, and doors are opening in high places, I can tell you it's because people are praying. It's because people are praying. Nothing happens in the natural until those things are established in the spirit realm. The natural takes its cue from the spirit. That is why as Christians and as believers, because we have access to the realm of the spirit, it's such a very powerful place to be. When you're giving your heart to the Lord, when you are connected to him, you have access to the heavenlies. So you can start to change things there to impact onto the earth. It's called touching the heaven to change the earth. And for the past two weeks, we've been looking at uh, spiritual warfare, especially the seven pillars of warfare. And I remember I mentioned this to you. Number one pillar is word. Oh yes, there's a what? A, there's an invisible spirit realm. Uh, many people only know. They are only familiar with what they see, what they can touch, what they hear, and their feelings. If you as a believer is just limited to that realm, you are highly highly limited. There's a spirit realm beyond the realm of the seen. God does not live in the natural. God is spirit. God dwells in the heavenlies. God operates from eternity. He does not dwell in this realm. He does not work from this realm. What he does impacts this realm, but he's not here in the natural. In the same way, Satan is also not a physical, natural being. He's not a human being that you can see with your eyes or touch with your hands and the rest of it like that. He's a spirit being. So how do you fight an enemy that you do not see? That is what we've been talking about. How do you engage in spiritual warfare to dismantle an enemy that seems to be arrayed against your destiny? to fulfill purpose, to fulfill plans. That is what we've been talking about. Pillar number two, there's an invisible warfare around you, whether you like it or not, whether you know it or not, whether you acknowledge it or not, whether you are thinking about it or not, whether you are doing anything about it or not. There's an invisible warfare that is around you. The better you know what to do, Oh, the earlier you know what to do, the better for you. The earlier you know how to handle it, the better. There's an invisible spiritual warfare. Nothing happens by accident. There's no coincidence in the scriptures. There's no accident in God. Nothing happens by accident. They're either being permitted or being commissioned by God. So if you know what to do, then you, you will have learned how to handle these forces that seems to be arrayed against the destiny of many believers. Number three. Number three. The battlefield is in our minds. How do I mean? It's in our thought life. Because Satan is not physical. He is not natural. So he has a way of making suggestions. Dropping thoughts, those thoughts of anger, those thoughts 
that makes you feel down. Those thoughts that when they come, you are depressed. Those thoughts of fear, where do they come from? They are not from God. How about the thoughts that suddenly you feel so joyful? You feel lifted. You feel excited about the future. Those thoughts that suddenly you believe that tomorrow holds better things. Those thoughts that come to encourage you. Oh, you just feel so delighted with yourself and with what is happening to you. Where are those thoughts coming from? They're not coming from Satan. They're coming from God. So the battlefield is in your thought. And even today, I'm still going to show you how that impacts what we'll be looking at this morning. Number four, Satan's plan is to frustrate God's plan for your life. Number five, the, you know, the, the, the battle is either won or lost in the realm of the spirit. Number six, Satan has been defeated. So we're not fighting for victory because when we talk about fighting, some people may say, oh yes, uh, you, you can take it to two extremes. Number one is this, yes, we need to fight. We need to fight this person. I need to fight that person. I need to fight that person. And some people take off without hearing the, 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 the remaining part of it. Yes, as Christians, we must be ready to fight and confront people and, and talk to people and fight them. That is not what we are talking about at all. Number two is this, some people may think, oh yes, uh, you know, uh, that, eh, but, but listen to this. The battle, Satan has been defeated. We're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. I'll repeat. We're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. He was defeated on the cross. When Jesus rose from the dead, he collected the keys of hell and death from him. And the Bible says he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Just thinking about that. I'm feeling already so excited, excited about the fact that I'm not a loser, excited about the fact that I cannot be a victim. Oh, he didn't go to the cross to make you a victim. He went to the cross to make you a victor. And then num number seven is this, you have a role to play in whatever happens to you. You have a role to play. That means if you take some actions, if you do the things you need to do, you get the result that God wants you to get. But if you do not, if you give, start to give excuses why some things are not, cannot be done, or you totally just turn your ears away from God's word, then be also prepared for the consequences because choices have consequences. And then again last week, I told you what to do. How do you fight this battle? Number one, do not be afraid. Hello. Do not be afraid. You know, in Deuteronomy 20, God spoke to the children of Israel. He said, the first law governing spiritual battle is this. Do not fear. Don't fear their fear. Don't be afraid. Why? Because God is with us. Number two, I said, learn to escalate things in the realm of the spirit. Learn to escalate things in the realm of the spirit. Because you are first and foremost a spirit being. You are not a natural being. You are a spirit being. You belong to God. The Spirit of God is living inside of you. The greater one abides in you. Be aware of all of these and start to relate to God. Start to become, start to be who God has ordained you to be. Amen. Praise the name of the Lord. And this morning, I'll be taking you to the warfare dimension of offering. The warfare dimension of offering. Oh, I can hear people saying, oh, what is that? I've never heard of that before. That is why you are where you are. That is why you are seated. That is why you're supposed to be listening. That's why God has brought you this morning to learn the warfare dimension of offering. Oh, spiritual warfare. Our offering is part of our warfare. Finances is part of our warfare. And I want to take us to Genesis chapter number 4 from verse number 1. Genesis chapter number 4 from verse number 1. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife. If you're a student of scriptures, you will remember that this actually was taking place immediately after the fall, after they've been driven out of the garden. From verse 1, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. 
He broke in and he said, I've acquired a man from the Lord. He must have, she must have been quite excited about the birth of this boy. Because at the fall, God said that yes, that the son will come and it will bruise. You will bruise his heel and then you will bruise his head. He, he must have been expecting that way. Okay, that's the one that we're expecting. The one that will come and bruise the head of the enemy. The one that God spoke about. So he said, oh, I've acquired this man who will carry out this will of God. Then she brought again, this time his brother, Abel. Now Abel was the keeper of sheep, but Cain was the tiller of the ground. Why did I say that? To remind us that there's no child is an accident. No child is an accident. Every child that God gives has a purpose, has a plan from heaven that God has ordained that that child will come and do. Amen. So it's important for us as parents to start to raise them up in the nurture of the Lord so that the plan of God for them is not derailed. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. And verse number four, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering. Verse number five, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. Oh, uh, you know, look at it. They both brought an offering to God. Cain brought an offering from the ground. Abel brought an offering from the lamb or from the animal who was keeping. And the Bible says God had respect for the offering of Abel, but he did not have respect for the offering of Cain. Uh, this, in this place, you find the word offering mentioned for the very first time in the Bible. The very first time you find the word offering mentioned in the Bible is in this particular passage. And I want you to just listen and come with me. You know? And some have said, but why did God, why, why, why did he respect the offering of Abel? And he had no respect for the offering of Cain. And some have said maybe because if uh, Cain brought his offering in the form of vegetable, because he was a tiller of the ground. And then Abel brought an animal. Nothing to do with that at all. But why did God respect his offering? This is to help us also in the giving of our offering. The difference was that Abel's sacrifice was made by faith. Abel brought his offering to God by faith. The writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 11, from verse number, verse number 4, Hebrews 11 verse number 4 says, he said, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, and God testified of his gifts, and through, and through it, he being there, still speaks. Abel offered to God. Is offering verse number four by faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice. So Abel brought the sacrifice by faith, and you know that faith begins where the will of God is known, meaning that he didn't just pick something and say, Okay, I'm going to give this. He must have taken time, Lord, in his fellowship with God, taking time. What do I, how do I give this? What do I give? The Bible says, By faith. Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice. Faith begins where the will of God is known. He just did not give God anything. Abel gave to God what God wanted. Cain gave to God what he wanted. And that is why I've thought us in church many times that when you come to God, when you bring your offering to God, don't just, oh, offering time, and you're looking for $5, you're looking for whatever currency you use in your country, and it's okay, oh, yes, let me just give him something. God is not a beggar. He's not looking for your money. God is looking for your worship. But by bringing the offering in faith, his offering became an expression of his worship. I'll repeat, by bringing his offering in faith, his offering became an expression of his worship. And the Bible says the hour is coming. And now is. Jesus actually said this. That, that the true worshippers will worship the Father in what? In spirit and in truth. 
for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Learn to be a worshiper of God with your offering. He brought his offering to God by faith. Number two, the Bible says, Abel brought the firstborn of his flock to God. Abel brought the firstborn of his flock to God. Oh, the firstborn of his flock and their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. Let me read it to you from the NIV. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. Let me read it to you from the Good News Translation. Then Abel brought the first lamb born of his sheep. He brought the first lamb born of his sheep to God and gave the best part of it as an offering. And the Lord was pleased with Abel and his offering. What exactly are we talking about? Proverbs chapter number 3. Proverbs chapter number 3. From verse number 10. Proverbs 3 from verse number 10. It is, and I, and I call, honor the Lord. From verse 9 actually. Honor the Lord with your possession. And with the first fruits of all your increase. Honor the Lord with what? Your possession. And the first fruits of all your increase. So your bands be, will be filled with plenty. And your vats will overflow with new wine and oil. So when? By bringing the first fruit. By bringing the first lean of his lamb. Of his sheep. Abel was actually honoring the Lord. So the honor that he gave to God, the Bible says God had looked unto him favorably because he brought the offering, honoring God. So two key things we pointed out. Number one, his offering was about his worship. Number two, his offering was about honoring God. Honoring God. That is why also for us as New Testament believers, we must change our attitude that our offering, our sight, must be about honoring him. Must be an expression of our worship to God. You know, he was honoring God. And finally, oh, I love this. When I saw this, I was excited. The Bible says, Abel brought to God the first fruit of all. He brought to God the first lamb born to one of his sheep. He brought to God the first lamb born to one of his sheep. Here... It was a lamb for a person. Later at Passover, it will be a lamb for a family. But you know one thing. Abel keyed into something. Even at the very beginning, he keyed into the fact that the lamb of God will come. Who eventually will take away the sins of the world. Who eventually will completely correct the mistake and the fall that took place before his birth. God saw that and God said, come on, you are tapping into something there. You are tapping into something you have not yet. Yes, you are not touching it yet, but you are picking something. You are tapping into something. And God had respect because Jesus Christ will eventually be the Lamb of God that will take away the sins of the world. That will correct, or the, 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 that will correct the mistake that Adam and Eve made. That will eventually restore humanity back to its place. What was lost in the garden will eventually be settled in the garden. That it has not ended. I have news for you. Maybe you are falling. Maybe you are down. Maybe you are going through challenges. It is not over until it is over. All you need is to key in into the one who came. The one who died. The one who rose from the dead. The one who came to give you victory. The one who came to restore humanity back to Eden. Back to the place where man was with God. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Why am I teaching this? On the 20th day of May. I was getting ready for the day. And the Spirit of the Lord started speaking to my heart about the warfare dimension of offering. And he said to me, he said, your offering is part of warfare. He said, offering is part of warfare. And I was like, hmm, that is quite interesting. And he said, now the things I've taught you, go and 
teach the church this. That was on the 28th of May. And I was waiting for the opportune time where I'll bring this word to you. He said, the offering spot of our worship. And it led me to this particular scripture. Now let me take you further from verse number 6. After God expresses respect for the offering of Abel and rejected or disliked the offering of Cain, now listen to what follows. From verse number 6. Why are you so angry? Verse number 6. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? Verse number 7. If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin lies at your door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Because Cain, the Bible didn't go into how eventually both of them knew that one's offering had been accepted and the other offering had been rejected or refused. But obviously, there were things that followed. The Bible says the countenance of Cain fell. He became sad. And God had to say, well, why are you doing like that? Why are you behaving like that? And, it, you know, verse number six. Why are you behaving like that? Why are you angry? Remember, the anger that comes to us. Where are those things? The source of the thoughts of anger. The thoughts. Where do they come from? I'll, I'll, I'll leave that for now. Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? He now said to him, if you do well, meaning he didn't do well. <laughs> he said, if you do well, meaning if you have done well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin lies at your door. And his desire is for you. He was warning him about the things that will eventually follow. Say, so don't yield to this desire in your heart. Don't yield to the sin that was already brewing in your heart. But you should what? Rule over it. Control yourself. Control your emotions. Don't yield to that. And then look at what followed in verse number 8. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother. You will see now whether he yielded, whether he listened or not. Cain talked to, spoke to his brother, or talked with his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. And killed him. The first time offering was mentioned. The first time the Bible records about offering. Look at how eventually the thing played out. Ended up with murder. The warfare had started. The warfare began. Let me read it to you from the New Living Translations. So why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. One day, Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the field. He, suggest, he knew what he was planning to do. So he suggested, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother, Abel, and killed him. Let me read also from the New Century Version. The Lord asked Cain, why are you angry? Cain James says, his countenance fell. Nindivin Translation says, he was dejected. The NCV version says, he said, why are you angry? Why do you look so unhappy? If you do things well, I will accept you. But if you do not do them well, sin is ready to attack you. Sin wants you, but you must rule over it. And Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out into the field. While they were out in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Let me read to you finally God's words translation. Then the Lord asked Cain, why are you angry? Why do you look disappointed? If you do well, won't you be accepted? But if you don't do well, sin is lying outside your door, ready to attack. He wants to control you, but you must master it. Cain talked to his brother. God warned him. Like some things you'll be hearing this morning, they will be coming from 
the Spirit of God to prepare us for the things for the days ahead. <laughs> I'll repeat, those things we'll be hearing today, they will be, they will be coming from the Spirit of God to prepare us from the days ahead, especially in the area of our finances, especially in the area of our economy, so that you will learn and you know what to do, so that you do not, you are not subjected, you do not become a victim like the world, so that you do not end the way you probably do not want to end. But these words are coming to help us, to prepare us. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. So, and Cain talked to his brother, Abel, and later when he went in the field, Cain attacked his brother and what? And killed him. Look at COVID-19. A lot of talks and the emphasis has been, oh, on the health impact. And that is okay because of many people who died, you know, especially in so many nations. In Australia, God has been very gracious to us. But in so many places, look at the rate and the level of death. Look at America, for example, a nation losing 100,000 souls to a pandemic. And they've not, I mean, it's almost like war. It was an invisible war. In fact, it's an invisible war. And so many other nations, thousands, thousands. But you know, there's something else that is not being spoken a lot about. And it's the fact that apart from the health issue, COVID-19 has also devastated the economy of nations. Last week, the prime minister was talking about the fact that he said we need to now start to think, how do we get the economy out of ICU? The economy was, is already in ICU. What is ICU, if you don't know, it's called intensive care unit. The economy is already what? Paralyzed. How do we get the economy out of ICU? I was talking to the vice president of a very big bank, and he said to me, he said there are many businesses that will not be returning because of COVID-19. So many businesses that will not be returning because of COVID-19. They were doing well, they were thriving, but this situation just shut them down, paralyzed them. Before we even go far, how about many other businesses that we know? How about Virgin, as big as Virgin is? Virgin went into administration. How about so many other companies? Look at the effect on the economy. Look at the effect on the finances that this particular pandemic has wrought. But God is preparing us that, so that we know what to do. We know what to do in the days ahead so that you do not become a victim, so that your finances are not grounded, so that you do not lose out. But your own test will become a testimony in Jesus' name. Let me take you to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me take you to the Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament. The New Testament from Matthew chapter number 4. The very, at the very beginning of his ministry, popularly referred to as the temptation of Jesus, from verse number 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Man shall not live by rice alone. Hello? Man shall not live by jollof rice alone. By fried rice alone. Man shall not live by kogali alone. But by every word that proceeds. Man shall not live by what? By KFC alone. Man shall not live by what? Pastor and digestive alone. But by every word that is proceeding from the mouth of God, Jesus said, be careful that in planning the course of your life, be led by what God is saying. Verse number five. Then the devil took him up into the holy city and set him up 
on the pinnacle of the temple. This was at the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. The enemy came to tempt him. Satan came to tempt him. He took him up to the holy city, set him up on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And then Jesus now said to him, It is written, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Verse number 8. Again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. The first one, command the stones to become bread. The second one, what did he say to him? Showed him. The devil took him to the holy city. Sat on the pinnacle of a temple. Said, oh, jump. I'll give the angel, his angels charge over you. In their hands they will bear you up. He said, don't tempt the Lord your God. Now, he now said, now I know what to do. He took him to an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. He showed him the kingdoms of the world and their glory. What does that word glory mean? The Spirit of God took me to this place and he said, look at the word glory. You know, in the New Testament, I mean, in the Old Testament, the word glory means the weight. It means weightiness. It means something substantial, something heavy. It means honor, splendor, power, wealth, authority, significance or magnificence, fame, dignity, and riches. In the Old Testament, in the New, the word means honor. Reputation, standing, splendor, radiance, and majesty. So Satan took him, said, look, come and see the kingdoms of this world and their splendor and their majesty and their wealth and their riches. He said, but now, don't try to fulfill purpose. Stop listening to God. I will give these things to you. All you need to do is to worship him. Thank God that he did not listen. Thank God that he didn't listen to him. Because Satan was trying to lure him from purpose and destiny with wealth or money. And the Lord said to me, he said, look at this. How the enemy was trying to use money or wealth or finances to lure him away from purpose and destiny. Thank God that he did not listen. Because if he had listened, there would not be salvation. Man would have been lost forever. And you are not even sure. Satan is a liar. You are not even sure whether he will fulfill his own part of the bargain. It's only God that you can be very sure that what he says he will do, he will do. That is not the, that's why the reason we sing that he will do what he says he will do. God says I will do what I promise. He's not a man that he should lie. Not the son of man that he should repent. As he said it and will he not do it? As he promised it and will he not bring it to pass? Satan is not like that. He was trying to lure him. He said, bow before me. Worship me. And I'll give you everything. Oh, you can't trust him. You can't really, really trust him. But thank God that God did, I mean, Jesus did not listen to him. It's still the same thing here today. Oh, what we call that? Many times it's popularly called temptation. But that was also warfare. The enemy trying to lure him away from purpose. Lure him away from God's plan by flashing what? Money or, or splendor or what we call honor, magnificence oh, to him. So then what should be our relationship with money? How do we handle the issue of our offering? How do we ensure that we do not allow the enemy to what? To lead us away from purpose and destiny by flashing rewards that he will eventually not give. What should we do? Let me take you to Matthew chapter 6 from verse 24. Matthew 6, 24. Jesus said something there was, that was really amazing, probably shocking. He said, no one can serve two masters. 
For either it will hate the one and love the other, or else it will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Jesus referred to God as what? A master. And then to mammon as what? Also a master. You can serve two masters. For either you will hate one and love the other, you will be loyal to one and despise the other. Amen. It's not possible. Why did God, why did Jesus, why did Jesus compare mammon to God? Because of the ability of money to lay hold on the hearts of people and start to dominate them and start to drive them and, and start to make, you know, the, the, the Bible says the, the love of money is the root of all evil. That when you start to pursue it, and, and you know, in, in the world, how do people show, when people want to show off, when people want to let people know that they've, they've arrived, they, 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 it's, their, it's their wealth. And the, the, in the news media, oh, they are highly regarded. The, 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 the billionaires, the millionaires, and then you flash. Oh, look at the house, look at the money. And sometimes highly impressionable young people say, wow, I also want to have this. And sometimes young ladies say, oh, I think I'm not going to marry until I see a millionaire. I'm just looking for a millionaire because I'm not, I don't want to go through all this, uh, all this praise the name of the Lord. Uh, young, those of us who have been married and you are not a millionaire, you appreciate your wife more from today. <laughs> Even though she, you, you married her, she followed you, and you are not a millionaire, go back home or get back if you are sitting there and say, I appreciate you more. Uh, because there are people who say that I'm not going to marry unless what? Uh, yes. Maybe he's a millionaire. Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. I remember one young lady shared that. And uh, later I said, uh, you know, I was talking to my daughter. I said, well, how far has she found the millionaire now? Uh, you know, sometimes uh, don't, don't, don't seek for those things. Don't look for those things. Amen. Seek for God. And Jesus compared uh, mammon to money. He said, this thing can lay hold on your heart. This thing can start to direct your heart. This thing can lay and consume you. It has the ability to take over your heart. Then in verse 25, he went further. And I said, therefore I say to you, do not what? Worry. Do not worry. Because when we don't seem to have it, it can bring worry into our lives. Do not worry because, oh, you, you, you have seen it. The news media have displayed it. In television, I've displayed, wow, I also want this money. If I have money, I can do so much. Sometimes Christians will even quote the Bible. The Bible says money answers all things. If you've quoted that, go and read the scriptures properly. Context determines content. The Bible is not talking about the fact that money, with money, that is the, is the end of it all. I'm just talking about the particular situation there. So he said, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. What you will what? Eat. Or what you what? Drink. Know about your body, what you put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Don't worry about your life. Don't start to get anxious because of money. Don't start, oh, I don't have this. Look at it. Oh, look at, look, look, look. And sometimes we start to compare ourselves. Look at my Friends, look at my classmates. Look at the money they have. Look at what they have done. Look at the houses they've built. And, and I don't seem to have much. And worry will descend. Because you are comparing yourself. The Bible says those who compare themselves with themselves are not wise. Destinies are different. Purposes are different. There's a plan of God for each individual. They might not even be believers. Do you know what they did? To obtain what eventually, you know, they have. It is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich and does not add sorrow to it. You know, without blessing, riches can be full of sorrow. I said, without blessing, riches can be full of sorrow. So Jesus now warned them. He said, look, do not worry. Because there are three essential areas that worry comes to us. Number one, about our future. We look at the future. Time is going. Oh, time, suddenly, you know, <laughs> um, 
Time is good. So, you know, when, when people are young, they want to grow older. When they're young, they're always talking. Oh, four months, I'll soon be a teenager. Three months, I'll soon be a teenager. They want to grow old very fast. They say, oh, I'm not a... But by the time people now grow old, by the time they're old, they want to know what? They go younger. They say, how old are you? Don't, don't ask me about age. Well, you know, I'm just one year older. You don't want to talk about your own age. Because if you now tell them that you are now over 50, say, hey, you're, you're almost... No, age is just a number. Age is a number. I'm telling you uh, what you need to pursue is God's plan for your life. He said, therefore, I said to you, do not worry about your life. That is future. What you will eat, that is food, provision. What you put on your body, fashion. Fashion, especially for women, the latest. Oh, I need to wear this. Have you seen the latest shoe? Have you seen the latest dress? Have you seen, have you been to Maya? They've come with a new whatever it is. I learned something many, many years ago when I was in, when I was in the university. We went and we got this particular shirt that just came out. And all the young guys, all of us, oh, oh have you bought the shirt? Oh, yes, body. And we were, oh, wow, you've got your own. And everybody was trying to, and eventually we got us. Everybody had, everybody bought. And then we now, we now saw the picture of John Travel, I mean, of, um, uh, is it Lennon or something, uh, taken in 1962, and he was wearing the same shirt. I said, oh, the latest that just came out that we went and spent so much money on, you know, fashions go in cycles. They go in cycles. After a while, they will resurrect what they were wearing in 1980. Just add a little bit to it, and then people will rush there again to buy. People rush there again to buy. From that time, I stopped following any fashion. I wear what I have. I won't be troubled by anything. I'm not saying don't dress well, but don't let fashion consume you. The latest shoe, the latest dress, the latest this, the latest that. What happens after that? After you've gotten the latest, another latest. Another latest. I thought that was the latest. Then what's happening? Oh, another latest has come. No, don't follow those things. Jesus said, don't allow worry to set in. Because in, in thinking about your future, I don't have this, I don't have that, worry will set in. In thinking about provision, if you're not careful, worry will set in. In thinking about this, about that, worry will set in. Worry is like a rocking chair. All motion and no movement. And to talk more about that, worry will release into your life. Anxiety will release into your body. Toxins that will eventually bring sickness and disease into your body. That's why Jesus warned us here, do not worry. When you start to worry, it puts pressure on your immune system. puts pressure on your hormone system. And things will start to happen eventually there. That will cause a lot of problems for you. A lot of sicknesses will disappear if people will stop worrying. Verse number 26. He now said, Look at the birds of the air, for they never sow nor reap, nor gather into burns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? Why, so why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the valley. How they grow, they neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of them. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry. I saw this yesterday, and I've read this many times. Many times, over 20 years, I've never seen what I saw yesterday. I saw there that in that passage, the word worry or worry was repeated four times. Was repeated four times. Meaning that the emphasis Jesus was placing on that was quite more. Do not worry, 25. Do, stop worrying, 27. Why do you worry, 28. Again, therefore do not worry, 31. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? For after all these things, the gentiles seek. That means unbelievers seek. For your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. But you seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. Where do worries come from? 
Let me use scripture to interpret scripture. King James. I'll take you to King James. Matthew 6.25 from King James. Not New King James now, but the King James Version. Therefore I say to, unto you, take no thought for your life. Take no thought for your life. The same place where New King James used the word worry, King James used the word take no thought. Meaning that the worries, where are they coming from? From thoughts that have been sowed into your heart. Take no thought. And he said, take no thought, meaning you have a choice to either receive those thoughts or not. Take no thought. Don't take the thought. When the enemy comes with the thought, don't take them. Don't receive them. Don't sign for them. Don't sign for a package of rattlesnakes if they are not yours. Take no thought for your life. What you shall eat or what you shall drink. Not yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat? And the body more than raiment. 26. 26. Behold the fowls of the air. For they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into bands. Yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much better than they? Will God abandon you? Will he leave you? No. Which of you taking thought? Which of you, again, taking thought can add one cubit to his stature? By worrying about this, by worrying about that, will it change the situation? And why take you thought again? Look at it. Why take you thought? Each of you taking thought. Do not take thought. Don't take it. Don't receive it. Don't accept it. Don't sign for it. When it comes with those thoughts of discouragement, when it comes with those thoughts of worry, when it comes with those thoughts of, 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 of with those thoughts of, of, of of, that wants to bring you down. When it comes with those thoughts of, of, of depression. When it comes with those thoughts of sadness. Those thoughts of discouragement. The Bible says that Cain became discouraged. He was discouraged. He was distressed. His countenance fell. Jesus said, don't receive those thoughts when they come. Consider the lilies of the field. How they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. Yes, and I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into, into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O you of what? Little faith. 31. He now says what? 31. 31. Therefore, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewith shall we be clothed? Therefore, take no, don't take the thought again. Can you see the emphasis? Take no thought. Take no thought. Take it. Don't take the thought. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. But you, don't take the thought, but you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. What disarms the power of money is this. When you make him, when you make your finances, when you make your giving, you make it as an expression of your worship. When you make the kingdom of God priority in your life, when you make that kingdom the priority in your life, heaven will make you the priority. When you make your offering, your giving, an expression of your worship, when it's not something that you, 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 you pursue, when it's not, it has not become a God to you, it has not become a, an obsession to you, I must have this, I must have that. When what you are pursuing is the kingdom of God, God says, I will add all these things that others are running after, I will add them to you. Uh, don't run after money like others. Don't run after finances. Don't run after wealth like others. You seek the kingdom of God. And God says, what others are pursuing, I will now add them to you. Isn't that a very wise way to deal with these things? And he now says, you know, and when you now make that kingdom your priority, when you make God number one in your life, you will see how God will add to you what others are pursuing. This is what the entire thing about tithes and offerings are all about. Tithes and offering is far, far bigger than the issue of money. 
Tithes and offering is about worship and honor. I'll repeat. Tithes and offering is far, far bigger. When you say, oh, pay your tithes. Oh, give your offering. And say, okay. No, it's about honor and worship. It's far, far bigger than, oh, just the, uh, do you think God needs your, uh, uh, the $10 or the 500 or the 1000 or whatever it is that you're giving? He doesn't need them. But there's something that you that will happen to you when you start to use them to worship, use them as an expression of worship, that you are not bowing at the altar of money, you are bowing at the altar of God. That God is number one in your life. God is the one taking charge and directing your affairs. You know, God, he doesn't need your money, but he wants to help you so that you are not plugged into Babylon. This system is decaying. This system is collapsing. This system, I'm telling you, you plug into heaven so that when everything else is shaking around you, heaven will supply the ideas you need to get out, the ideas you need to thrive. That is what many people are lacking. Let, let me take you to Malachi chapter number 3, and I will close. Malachi chapter number 3, when it says, bring all the sides. Don't, you know, bring all the sides. Malachi chapter 3 from verse number 10. Malachi 3 from verse number 10. I've shared this before, especially to those of us in church. But I want to bring some things out again for you. From verse number 10, Malachi 3. Uh, bring all the sites into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in these. God says, prove me now in this." Says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven, and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be enough room to receive it. Say, so bring all the sides and prove me and try me if I'm not open to you windows for the windows of heaven. What is the windows of heaven? Those of us who have been faithful in paying our sides. Has there been any day you paid and then you got back home and then the roof opened and then cash fell? God is not a counterfeiter. He doesn't do that. That's not what he's saying here. But he said, he said, I'll open the windows of heaven. The Bible says, Jesus actually said it in the New Testament. said, the eye is the window of the body. The eye is the window of the body. When your eye is single, then your body will be full of light. What does that mean? That when you bring your thighs to honor him, God says, I will honor you. By starting to open the eyes of your understanding. Maybe I should take us there. Let's go to Ephesians chapter number one. I mean chapter, yes, chapter one. Ephesians chapter one. And see where Paul actually prayed that for the Ephesian church. Uh, Ephesians chapter number one. From verse number 17. Said that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of Ephesians 1 from verse 17. This is a scripture that those of us in the city of refuge should be able to say it offhand. So that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of glory may give to you the what? The spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Yes. Verse number 18. So that the eyes of your understanding or the eyes of your inner man or the eyes of your illumination will be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of his glory in the saints? Let's continue. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and seated him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above principalities and power, might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but what? But that which is to come. Let me read the same thing to you from the TPT version of the Bible. The TPT is called the Passion Translation. Paul said, verse 17, I pray that the Father of glory, the God of our Lord Jesus, will impart to you the riches of the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation to know him through your deepening intimacy with him. I pray that light of God will illuminate. When people are thinking, what should I do? I don't know what to do about this. God says that my light will illuminate the eyes of your imagination. Suddenly, ideas that will command resources will start to come to you. You will know what to do. 
you will know what step to take. When others are hitting their head against the wall, when you don't know what, thing, what to do. And let me say this. I said earlier on, God is bringing this word to us to prepare us because it's not going to get better for the world. It's not going to get better for the world. But God is preparing you so that in the midst of commotion, in the midst of situation, in the midst of challenges, in the midst of things happening, you know what to do. You know the step to take. You know, the, you know how to go about it. You are not just hitting your head against the wall like all others. You are not gripped by fear like all others. Your business is not going down like all others. God is helping you. He said, I will show you. I will illuminate your mind. I will illuminate your eyes. I will show you how to go about it. Can I say this? I've said this before. God has more than a billion ways to prosper you, and you cannot think of three of them. I'll repeat, God has more than a billion ways to prosper you, and you cannot think of three of them. Why don't we learn to hook on to him? Why don't we learn to plug into Zion, rather than knocking our head against Babylon? Babylon is already falling. The system of this world eventually will dissipate and will disappear. It will dissipate. And it will dissipate. Why? Because the one that is there, the one that is in control is Satan, is the god of this world. And he has three agendas. He comes to what? Steal. To what again? And then what again? Destroy. Meaning that he will allow it to be built up. And then he will do what? He will destroy it. Because he is the destroyer. He's been destroyed himself. So why are we plugging to the thing that has been destroyed? Hello? Somebody said, I'm not listening to that. No, the shares of, uh, of chemical, whip, uh, chemical, whatever, is, is booming now. I'm going to go and invest in the shares. And you pack all the money, and then you, you know, put them into the shares. And then after two, three months, they say, what is happening? The shares have gone down. They say the shares have collapsed. Say, what? The shares have collapsed? What happened to all the money? Gone. Why don't you learn? Why don't you allow God himself to guide you? to direct you, to show illuminating the eyes of your imagination, flooding you with light until you experience the full revelation of the hope of his calling, which is the wealth of God's glorious inheritances. The, the, the inheritance he has for you, the, the future he has for you, is so beautiful, is so glorious that he needs you, you need him to lead you into it. And then he now says in verse 19, I pray that you continually experience, I love this, the immeasurable greatness of God's power made available to you through faith so that your lives will be an advertisement of this immense power. Can you imagine God says, I want to advertise you. I want to advertise you to the world. I want to advertise you to your friends so that when they say, well, how are you making it? You can say, God. How, how, how are you surviving this time? You can say, God is our helper. That the Lord is being your helper. God says, I want to advertise you. Amen. Advertise, and by doing that, this advertising is immense power that is at work in you. This is the same mighty power that was released when God raised Christ from the dead. And exalted him to the place of highest honor and supreme authority in the heavenly realms. Amen. And verse, verse you know, so there will not be enough room to receive it. And then verse 11 says, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, so that I will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord. And all nations, not just in your nation. Do you notice that he didn't say, oh, and all cities. He said, and all nations will call you what? Blessed. Because what he will do through you will impart nations. What he will do through you will start to affect others in other nations. Amen? And say, all nations will call you what? A delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. I want to bring this to a conclusion by taking us to the prophet Haggai. Prophet Haggai in the Old Testament. Haggai the prophet saw this when he spoke the following. He said, and I will shake the nations and they shall come to the desire of nations. I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of the latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give you what? Peace. Where there's commotion everywhere, you will find peace. But he said, I will shake the nations. 
<laughs> what did COVID-19 do? What did the pandemic do? Shook the nations. But God has already prophesied it. That, hey, I will allow the nations to be shaken because their desire is silver and gold. But this silver and gold is mine. But when you make me your desire, then I will give you the silver and gold. And the glory of this temple shall be greater. And the glory of this temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. Tithes and offerings is about worship and honor. When you make those things an expression of your worship and your honor to God, God says that I will, what? I will add to you what others are pursuing. I will grant to you the silver and gold. I will give you ideas that will command resources. Your eyes will be open to see. Your ears will be open to hear. You will not be part of the perversities of your generation. When others are saying they are down, when they are saying they don't know what is happening to the economy, you will be saying you are lifted up. Why? Because you are not worshipping at the altar of silver. You are not worshipping at the altar of gold. Well, you are worshipping at the altar of God. God is number one in your life. That is what fight is all about. That is what giving of offering is all about. So that when God says you do this and you obey him in doing it, God says I will also do this for you. Is the way to go in these last days. The people of God must be plugged into what is saying and plugged into Zion rather than plugged into Babylon. It is your choice. Remember, he said take no thought. That means that receive the thoughts from him and not from the enemy so that you can experience the promises that he has given to you. Let's bow our heads to pray. Father, we want to thank you for this morning. Thank you once again for your word. Thank you for the word of life, the word of power that you've committed to my mouth and I've given them to your people. Lord, I pray for empowerment. I pray for grace. I pray, oh Lord my God, for divine ability. Lord, that they will respond to you and they will start to act in line because you send this word to prepare them for what is ahead so that nobody will say, I did not know. Nobody will say, I did not hear. Father, thank you, Lord. And for those who have not been using it, as many have been saying, oh, this my, is my thigh, this is my offering. They're so tied to it. Help them to disengage that you will be their true worship. You will be the one they will honor. You will be the one they will worship. In the name of Jesus. And as many as are doing that. As many as not been faithful. As many as not been faithful. And, as, and today they are saying I make a change. Lord my God. Come and honor your word in their lives. And as many as are saying Lord. I've heard your word. And I'm responding to it. Make their lives an advertisement. As a promise in your word. To the world. To their families. To the nations. So that nations will call them blessed. In Jesus name. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord watch over you. It's a new day for you in your finances in the name of Jesus. Don't forget, use them to worship God. It's about his worship. It's about his honor. Not about any other thing. God bless you real good. Mm -hmm.